Hey, it's the official tapes. This is a Grateful Dead radio program for those official releases. And every so often we uh, catch up with somebody who is uh, really close to the band or maybe has an interesting perspective on the band. And it, that uh, description fits very well for this fella. Okay, my name's John Kilbride, K-I-L-B-R-I-D-E. The book is The Golden Road, The Recorded History of the Grateful Dead. The author is going to give us a rundown of what it's like living in the UK, what the book is all about, uh, some interesting discussion on uh, studio, solo, and side albums. He'll get into the archival releases, years where the band was hot, uh, the road trip series, uh, uh, the idea of being a completist versus a perfectionist, uh, depending on what kind of releases come out and how that connects with the road trip. So. You get the complete show, or do you get the best of maybe a run of shows? Then he's also going to talk a little bit about box sets, bonus discs, remastered releases, reissues. And then he's also going to talk about what it's like tackling a book when more releases are coming out. The Grateful Dead were never really that well-known over here in the UK. They're very much a sort of cult band. The Grateful Dead has been part of my life since really the mid-1980s. I live in Europe, I live in Scotland and Europe. I came by them, not not by chance. They were never a mainstream band here. And by mainstream, I mean, you would never really hear them on the radio. They weren't really written about in the music press. And I mean, the outlets for that kind of music were pretty few and far between. I mean, I, thinking back, I mean, I heard them through various their album releases and so on at various times. I watched them on Rock Palast in 1981 that was broadcast in the BBC. So, I mean, they, they toured very infrequently. They last, when I started listening in 1984, the last tour in 1981 weren't back in Europe till 1990. So we weren't the most accessible at this, <laughs> at this part of the world. Even by the 80s, I mean, by Touch of Grey made them huge in America and there were regular stadium tours throughout the 80s in America, they were still pretty much unknown here. They were, Touch of Grey made some impact, but it certainly wasn't a big hit over here, and they were still pretty much unknown. And it was strange that, you know, possibly now there's greater awareness of the Grateful Dead in the UK than perhaps there was at the time when they were around. You know, so certainly, yeah, in 1990 when they played, they were playing arenas, they were playing like, you know, Wembley Arena three nights, which is, you know, not insignificant by any means, but certainly, you know, they weren't getting played on the radio much. They weren't, you know, they weren't regulars on TV. They did get some airplay. They were on TV occasionally, but you know, they were kind of almost like secret heroes. You know, they weren't. You know, if you compared them to somebody like Dylan, Dylan was regularly playing arenas and big venues in the UK and Europe. The Dead didn't tour here very often, and you know, possibly the decision not to tour here too often was part of that. Therefore, they weren't. You know, people this maybe weren't as familiar with them over here, but you know. There was always hopes, there was always, you know, always rumours, you know, I thought, I hear they're definitely playing Glastonbury this year. Yep, they're headlining under the pyramid in Glastonbury. No, no, they were not. No. (laughs) Or no, they're definitely touring with with Dylan. Yep, they're going to play every stadium in the U. No, no, not going to (laughs) happen. (laughs) 
So yeah, we we got by on a lot of rumours. It kept us, it sustained us for a lot. Of, <laughs> it's great to see them maybe getting that recognition over here in recent years. I've not been one of these guys that's been able to sort of follow the band, see the shows, tour with the band, whatever. We've been kind of, I've been kind of reliant here since I got into the band in mid 1980s on recordings coming to me, and that would be from the olden days of sort of blanks and postage tapes to CDs to whatever. To I mean, obviously it's a completely different ball game now, but back then, you know, we were kind of sort of community over here that are, if you like, into the Grateful Dead. We were very much based on listening to the recordings, getting recordings, and not actually being at the shows, not living that kind of way, that sort of relationship with the band, but through listening to the recordings, getting the feeling for what they were doing through those. And essentially the way I did it, I approached the book was through that kind of way. You know, there's no, I, I wouldn't be able to tell the story of the band by having been at shows that I wasn't at or being close to the guys in the band because, you know, we're not, I'm hundreds of miles away and thousands of miles away. So this is my approach to it. This is how I got into the Grateful Dead. This is how I listened to the Grateful Dead. So I wanted to sort of, in a way, tell that story through the book. And by making my approach to it, it's perhaps a slightly different one to, to everyone else's. You know, there are people who've been at all the shows and from the 1960s onwards. There are, you know, the books by the guys in the band and the other books by people close to the band. But I just thought I could tell a story from, if you like, my perspective. And in a way, I kind of felt that maybe I want to give something back to the community. You know, I've, I've thoroughly, you know, it's been a big part of what I've I've been doing for several decades. And it's just, you know, you kind of feel that, yeah, well, I've got maybe get something that I can pass on to other people that other people might enjoy. And that was really, I suppose, my motivation for doing it. And I always tell you, if you want to write something, write about something you know. And I just happen to know an awful lot about, I happen to know an awful lot about the Grateful Dead. So that was, kind of fell into place quite well there. <laughs> The way I decided to write it was basically to more or less tell the story of the band, but to do so through the recordings that have been made available. Obviously, there's a huge number of recordings came out during their 30-year career, but obviously, subsequent to 1995, there's been a huge number more. So what I decided to do was basically work through those recordings that have been issued in a sort of chronological manner and reflect how they told the band's story, how they're developed, how they've changed, how a new things were incorporated into what they did on stage. Such a huge corpus of work, it really is. And I mean, hopefully, that's kind of almost what I was thinking when I'm writing this book. You know, if you want to step into that and you have, you know, you've got a couple of releases that you've heard or a couple of you know, recordings you've heard and you know there's this, you know, cornucopia of material, where do you go? What What's, what's going to, you know, guide me through this? And hopefully the book's some way goes to that. You know, it some way shows that, you know, there is all this material, but there's reasons for it. Here's why this there is there. And hopefully that, you know, casts a little bit of light there. So essentially what it is, is a look at the band's history, the band's story, but through the sort of lens of the recordings and through the material that's been issued, most of that subsequent to the band actually calling it a day in 1995. It's one of the extraordinary things about the Grateful Dead that when you think back of them, you know, for all they had, you know, a very active 30, 30 year career, they only had about a dozen studio albums out. They actually didn't really do that many. And then when you look at the studio albums, 
you kind of think, uh, yeah, that one, um, that one too. Um, maybe not these ones, but <laughs> you know, there's some of them are really, really great. Some of them maybe not so great. And you know, the interesting thing as well about the solo albums is many of those were really essentially Grateful Dead albums under another name. You know, when you have the early Garcia albums, the early Weir albums, essentially they were sort of, you know, not so, not even so much solo albums, but more or less just extensions of what they were doing. I mean, in the early 70s, there was a whole spate of solo albums came out, the songs from which became canonical Grateful Dead songs. And they were like, you know, almost by under the name of, you know, Bob Weir's solo album Ace, the Garcia solo albums, and obviously Reflections as well, Mickey Hart's solo album. These were all by extension, essentially Grateful Dead albums and really part of the sort of the canon of their work. And I'd say that pretty much continues through most of their career. They're, some of them were obviously quite often a tangent, you know, sort of, I mean, for example, a lot of, you know, Garcia's bluegrass stuff and so on. It gave him an avenue to just, you know, run in a completely different direction and do something completely different. And, you know, old and in the way as well, you know, it just gave him that, space to explore something that he was really into completely differently but yeah you know other times there was just so much overlapping between the solo material and the actual band per se it was incredible and some of the material that came out in solo albums is, was tremendous it was really great material and i mean even some of the sort of slightly less rated ones i mean i love the sea stones album i, th I think that's an extraordinary piece of work and to think that was you know so many ideas in that although we're kind of that incorporated into some of the Grateful Dead thinking. You know, obviously you had some live jams with Sea Stones and Ned Lagan playing with them live, but that kind of free thinking, exploratory music was just something that informed them from the beginning right to the, right through their career. And it's just an extraordinary album that actually goes all the way out there to capture that. And like I say, some of their other albums just reflect different aspects of where they were. But I mean, you've got Bob Weir's Haven't Helped the Full Album, which was very much a sort of high production values, sort of late 70s California style kind of thing that you'd maybe set along somewhere like the Eagles or the Doobie Brothers or one of these kind of bands, yeah. not necessarily in with like, you know, Jerry Garcia's bluegrass explorations or like, you know, Sea Stones. But that was kind of almost an aspect of the band that really emerged and you know, re was reflected in some of their early, some of their later releases in the late 80s. You know, if you look at, you know, Go to Heaven, you can see, well, there's a wee bit of crossover going on there. You know, you can see that, you know, materialising a bit there. But so I, I think the solo albums really tell a story that can't be ignored when it looks at the great look at the Grateful Dead. They're really an integral part of their discography and so many crossovers and the sessions that the guys did elsewhere just really reinforce both the influence of the band and what everybody was drawing in to the actual band as a whole, you know, bringing in aspects from out with the actual Grateful Dead, be that bluegrass, be that, you know, sort of very sort of smooth Californian rock or whatever. You know, these are all things that were brought in, all amalgamated in the overall sound of the Grateful Dead and it all worked towards making that unique hole that they became and what they were. Once the archive material started appearing, and I'm, I'm even going back to you know from the vaults one, uh, and, and that kind of stuff, it really it really changed the ball game completely. Suddenly you were you had 
you know, front row access, if you like, to amazing quality recordings. And, you know, I'm really, you know, it's an astonishing thing that the band were able to do that. They had these recordings available and they've kept up that momentum with the releases. If anything, probably more releases in recent years than there were even, you know, when they started putting their archive releases towards the end of their actual career. So it's been an absolute, you know, it's, it's been a wonderful thing to be, be part of, you know, this outlet of material. And I mean, I think it reflects well on everyone. It reflects well on the band having that kind of open attitude to make these recordings available. And I mean, you know, from my point of view, it's just, it's just wonderful being able to hear some of these things at their absolute peak recording quality. It's actually very exciting when some, when some of these releases came out, you know, initially when they started to emerge and even as continuously, it's, you know, you're kind of quite excited about what you're going to get and what's going to be presented and we would get what we, we certainly make the most of what we could get and yeah, I mean, the, the guys who have been behind the releases, be it, you know, be it Dave or Dick, you know, they, they really, they've done an incredible job just sort of supervising and almost editing, if you like, what comes out and, you know, being, being, you know, selecting things consciously, and you want to kind of, you want to kind of almost give credit to, to these guys when the release comes out. They've put a lot of thought into what's what's coming out, and you want to sort of you know reflect on that and make that sort of you know. They've they've done a great job in choosing the stuff that you know that you know the the immense amount of material that's available, and they've come out with the goods again and again, and you know, it's. It's just quite. It's quite. It is quite exciting when they are, when they arrive, and you just really want to make the most of them, and that you know, drill right down into what's there and all the details, and that really encouraged me to listen. Maybe not just as, you know, a background kind of thing, but actually sort of fairly deeply listen and, and pay close attention to what's going on because the Grateful Dead are a band that have always lent themselves to that. Their whole sort of approach being very sort of improvisatory and very sort of on the moment. You know, you you would be listening to for like the detail that popped up in the recordings, and yeah, it's a lot. So obviously, to a large extent, you know, when you were listening to the recordings, you would be when the archive releases come out, you'd be reading the liner notes, reading the commentary that other people would be putting online about them. And of course, there is an absolute wealth of literature now available about the Grateful Dead. So I've been immersing myself in those as well, not just recently, not just in the process of writing the book, but certainly since since those kind of books started to appear. You know, so obviously. You know, we've now got autobiographies by some of the guys in the band, books by people who are close to the band commenting on what the action was. And so, sort of, obviously, from taking my point of view and incorporating some of these in it, into it as well, I, I know it's, you know, not <laughs> not everybody gets that excited. But yeah, I mean, you know, you want to see what what's the choice, what's the selection that they've put on. And then you kind of also reflect on, you know, wh why did the band play those particular tracks in those days? Why is that song been rotated quite heavily when they, why they dropped in something new here and that, that goes back to like you know the, the beginning of the dead you know that when people would be getting really excited about you know what songs are getting played tonight and what they're hoping to hear tomorrow and that's even going on to this day as people are following the dead and company tour you know there's like i hope they're going to play this tonight and they, oh, they played this one last night this is going to be the next breakout i just feel it you know and to a certain extent it kind of carries on with that kind of bit that kind of thinking when you get the disc, you want to just, you know, focus on it, listen in, just enjoy it completely.
So, I mean, you can see almost that, you know, when the guys have been thinking about putting the releases, you know, whichever guy you're thinking of in, in, in charge of putting out the archive releases, be it, you know, David Lemieux, be it, be it Dick Lavell or whoever, you can see they've sort of gone through things and thought, well, you know, that's, they were good then and, you know, maybe they were better a couple of years later, you know. But, I mean, I think I think the interesting thing is that, you know, we all, we all have, I mean, I, I got into listening to the band in the early 80s and there's not a whole lot that came out from a lot of that era. You know, some of that is, you know, the, sort of the th slightly thinner years. And I mean, you can, I was listening back to some of the tapes from that era recently and it's thoroughly enjoyable as well. <laughs> you know, it's not like, it's not that by any means some of the years where there were fewer releases, they were particularly bad. Not, not actually at all. It's just in other years, they were absolutely outstanding. You know, I think that's, the thing you have to keep in mind, you know, you can listen to some of the tapes from, you know, the years where there's, you know, less material available and you can, yeah, maybe somebody missed a cue there or, you know, maybe the, somebody got the, vo the verse wrong there and you can, you can, you know, there's other times that you think, yeah, you know, Jerry's just playing it really safe here. He's just, he's not building anything. He's just filling some space. And you think, well, it's listening to it. Some of these things, you know, you know that, but at the same time, you think it's actually still pretty good. You know, they have their, they absolutely have their moments, you know, and it's not just like, you know, maybe at certain times they had more consistency with those moments, but other times, you know, they, they were, there was never really any completely off periods. There were times where there were maybe a little bit subpar, maybe not every show was, you know, shining as maybe it should, but, you know, there was never really a terrible time. But yeah, obviously, you know, when it comes to curating the releases, and rather than put out a whole show where you know, yeah, the vocals maybe weren't up to up to much there, or you know, playing was maybe a little bit on the stiff side, and you know, you're going to go for the years where they're absolutely on fire. You know, you're going to put the box set out of you know, 89, 90, or whatever. You know, you're not going to think about well, you know, maybe 1980. Nah, maybe we'll go straight for we'll go straight for the outstanding stuff here. <laughs> Sometimes the complete show is not the perfect show. But what I liked about the road trips was they were able to sort of cherry pick. They were able to sort of have a bit more of, I feel like a wee bit more of a creative process in what they would put on it. A bit more sort of, you know, almost like an editorial kind of point of view. They'd be able to sort of think, well, well, maybe this would flow better into that. Maybe, you know, being able to take that step backwards, if you like, from the sort of, what was actually presented on the shows to actually say, I think, well, you know, they did a run of four nights. Let's try to see what they would do if there was one night that was just absolutely perfect. Let's take, you know, three tracks from the first set, from the first night, a couple of tracks from the third night, then follow that with how they ended the first set and the second night and just create something that's maybe a little bit different. Maybe create a sort of, I mean, it's, if you want to look at it almost like a, a sports metaphor, you know, you, some people want to watch the whole game. Some people just want to see the highlights, you know, and that's pretty much, I think, what they did. You know, they were sort of, yeah, I know it was a, it's not everybody's point of view. It's not what everybody wanted. And I think to a certain extent in the sort of, you know, Grateful Dead community, we're used to listen to the whole show. We want to listen to, even back from tapes, two C90 tapes, listen to the whole thing. Whereas this is just like, well, why don't we just do, boil it down just you know we know maybe the vocals were off in that, that bit of, that one a little bit we know jerry was absolutely shining here 
but the rest of the set was a bit flat. And, you know, let's make something new out of it. And I think, if you think about it, a couple of the very, the very, very late Grateful Dead releases, they absolutely kind of pioneered that. With, If you think about it, w- without a net album, they basically made, let's try and make an ideal show here. Let's not just show, let's, let's not just make one set from a show and put that out, but let's blend it. Let's make it from different shows, from different recordings and make an ideal set. So in a, in a way, it could be seen as almost an extension of that kind of thinking. Obviously, that kind of thinking went further as well when they started doing like the Grey Folded album and then for Red Roses on by taking almost abstract pieces and building something new out of them. But I can see, I can see, absolutely see the purpose in Road Trips and I think it worked pretty well. I, I can guess, I can get why people might have had issues with some of it because, you know, we are kind of spoiled by being able to get so much material. We are sort of used to getting it all, you know, the whole banquet in front of us. But in this instance, they're serving us some of the highlights. You know, here's some of the choice cuts in the menu rather than absolutely everything. And I mean, and some of the releases were, you know, you've had very, very significant releases. I like so many Rhodes box set or the the box sets that came out of their their early albums and Warner Brothers, two massive box sets with, you know, packed with extra tracks and so on. And they came out and they've kind of got, some of those have gone out of print and you sort of look for some of the material. And some of them have got, some of those have got material that's not come out anywhere else. And you sort of, you know, there's uh, so many Rhodes box sets got some, the material from the jam they did with the Allman Brothers band and especially when you have some releases that came out or some extra material on them that go out of print that extra material pops up somewhere else with some other additional material that material isn't around anywhere else and some of the rehearsal material that came out in that so I mean some of it's been superseded by new material but there's just there's so much of it out there but it's a tough job keeping across it all and cross-referencing it and remembering you know yeah you had this sort of live version of what would be the final album but you also have in the So Many Roads box set a kind of almost an approach to that as well using different material from rehearsals and that kind of thing but yeah it's it, there is so much material that's you know it's quite it's great fun as well going through it all it has to be said though <laughs> By the time the book came out, there had already been a couple of new releases that had come out by that, by that point. And then you've got like, you know, this massive Europe 72 issue that's just come out. And then, you know, the London Lyceum show coming out in vinyl. And pretty much every record store day, there's another special release for that. And that's going ahead. Of, you know, that's regardless of the sort of regular four-year archive releases that come out. And yeah, there's just so much that keeps coming out. So, I mean, I suspect... I suspect it will be an updated edition before too long just to try and catch up with them. One of the tremendous things about the dead is they just keep up that momentum of the releases. And it's it's a wonderful thing. It really is a lesson, I think, to pretty much every other band. That, you know, if you have that kind of, not even a back catalogue, but if you have that kind of archive and that kind of following, you know, it should be out there. You can make that effort to be there. I mean, I know the Grateful Dead are not like every other any other band in that they had that 
unique quality. Every show was different. It wasn't just that they did the same set night after night, but every show was different. Every song had differences in it, and generally for the better. It was quite an achievement on their behalf. It's a lesson really to other bands and other people thinking about releasing any archive or putting that kind of material available. They've got this tremendous amount of material, and it's just it's just great that it's coming out. And it's above all, it's great the way they're doing it. They're absolutely, you know, doing it the right way. They're putting quality front and centre and at the same time managing to match that with a really good amount of releases. sort of been conscious that the, the difference between, if you like, the event and the recording of the event, they're not the same things. It's very easy to get confused. I mean, it's, it's quite easy, I mean, especially probably if you are closer to what's happening. And that's, that's kind of something that being that more removed from it is something, you know, I'm maybe more conscious of. Because, I mean, obviously, if you were there for that whole, you know, six night run or whatever in New York, and you're just, you know, everything was great. And it was just a whole experience. And the album comes out and it's, almost like a souvenir of the event. It's almost like here's some of the tracks that they recorded over that run or whatever. Whereas I've kind of been able to look at them as, as separate things. It's a historical event. And obviously, I, I, in most instances, I wasn't there. So you have to sort of like look at other people's commentaries, other people's views, the historical context of it and so on, and then focus on the release as a separate thing. You know, it's like the recording isn't the show. The recording is a different thing from the show. And obviously you can look at them both separately. You can sort of keep the, one was a historical event, one is something that you can put in your CD player and listen to in your living room and, you know, enjoy in a different way. You're experiencing it in a, in a completely different way. Maybe it's because I am that removed from the event, I'm removed, you know, removed from what the historical events was. I can maybe, you know, differentiate a bit more between them. You want to try and put that recording into that context and you want to put some of that if you like flavour and some of that some of that colour from the actual event itself into that recording and reflect some of that, so it's not just a sort of you're not just listening to a very sort of polished, studied recording of the highlights of an event, but to try and take some of that flavour of maybe what happened then and reflecting back on that actual event and incorporating that into the commentary about the release and trying to sort of see both in their own context. Well, Amazon's probably the easiest place to get it. It is available in bookshops by order. Certainly, it's available in, book, in bookshops. It's a British publisher that put it out, but certainly it's available via Amazon.com. Certainly, you can uh, order it from it. I'm pretty sure you're able to order it in bookshops in the USA. It came out in America just a few, uh, about a month or two after it came out in the UK. So it's certainly, it's certainly widely available. If you were to get it in your local, a local bookshop, would certainly be able to order it for you. 
or obviously Amazon's possibly the easiest, but I know a lot of people prefer to support their local bookshops and certainly I would, I would, I would be one of those. And, you know, you can certainly get your local bookshop to order it for you. It's pretty widely available, I think. 